Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. Twin Peaks is over 30 years old. There's so much more to learn about Twin Peaks. I, we recommend you pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book, to find out even more about the show that you love. We have tons of great stuff. We have over 100 interviews. We have commentary from the community. We have us. We have some great photos that have never been seen by most folks. I think if you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, you're going to absolutely love this book, and you will definitely learn something new. So pick it up at BlueRoseMag.com. This is John Thorne, author of The Essential Wrapped in Plastic, and you are listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I've got idea Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Brian, it's been a while since uh, we've done a Log Lady time. I think we need something to kind of get us back in the mood for Log Lady time. What if we get John Thorne to talk Log Lady intros? I think that is an amazing idea. Lady introductions are fascinating, and I know that uh, I think there was a little bit of uh, a tweet tweeting back and forth, and I, I think David Bushman said that they don't, he didn't find anything valuable. Then I'm like, oh, I found them very valuable. Yes, I remember like, oh, that. Here we go again. <laughs> oh God! But, but you know, first of all, I do find I, I there's a few, it's a, some of them maybe nonsensical. I, I don't know, but the first one to me is extremely valuable. Uh, I think there's code. I don't want to say coded message. It's not like Lynch is thinking. You know, what what can I convey mm. cryptically? But I do think there's meaning to them. And, and of course, the log lady says something like, you know, now we we start. This is after the fire, but few would know what that means. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we start now with the one. This story of many, but we start with the one, and the one is Laura Palmer. He filmed that after he filmed Firewalk with Me, right? And and uh, I think that, that he was still really invested in that character, Laura Palmer. And I believe, after studying the film so much and writing about it, that Lynch wanted you to go back to the series after watching Firewalk With Me. That may be part of why he even mm. made those Log Lady introductions, because it was an incentive to go back, to yeah. start watching, you know, there's something new, because he wanted you to sort of watch the series again mm. with Laura in mind of what you'd seen in Firewalk With Me. It was, mm. it, it, Firewalk With Me is in some ways an attempt to redefine a little bit your uh, perception of the series. And so the log lady basically says that in that first one. So I think that's valuable. I really do. Of course, the last one, for me, the last one was almost like, you know, the Rosetta Stone for uh, my essay on Cooper splitting into two different Mm. people in uh, two different 
halves essentially in the final episode i had that theory i was working on that theory i was i was writing it and, and collecting evidence to support it and i thought well what what does she say in that last i forgot i didn't even know what is mm. she, what does she say in that that final introduction so i went back and looked at it and she says explicitly where there was one there is now two yeah. and I thought, well, okay i mean that that seems to support my idea that cooper went in whole and mm. he divided mm-hmm. and of course lynch has supported that as well in, in interviews but uh, so I find that again I find the log lady introduction to to give you something of value mm. um, and then uh, just recently um, I've been studying a little bit about what Martha Nockhamson has written about Twin Peaks Joel Baco can talk to you far better about this than I but she's been talking to Lynch about unified field theory and quantum physics and that kind of stuff and she cited Martha Nockhamson did a log lady introduction where the log lady says something and I cannot remember which one this is or where exactly what she says but she something like the table is made of wood and the rock is and there's a rock but there's you know, are particles that we cannot see mm. and she talks something about I'm really really mangling it but she talks something about um, essentially the unseen physical properties of matter, which of mm. course comes down to that quantum physics and the idea that maybe Lynch is trying to to describe the structure of the universe in his mind in some way. What what does that mean in in the way we look at how the show is presented? So wow. so I so you know um, I I'm going to go back through. It's been a long time. I'm going to go back through and watch them all again soon because uh, I think in in a few at least yeah there are some there's some valuable tidbits that Lynch is 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 saying. You know some of them some of them are kind of odd and I don't right. know. Mm-hmm. She talks about pitch gum right in one of them. <laughs> what, what is pitch gum or something like yes. that? It's like well okay. I was thinking of like us revisiting this stuff. It was that pilot. It goes beyond the fire, though few people know what that that is. Yeah. And yeah. So, John, yeah. I always think it's obvious, but what do you think fire is? What do you think fire means in Fire Walk with Me? If you asked me that at a different time, I would say, oh, you know, the devil. The devil is yeah. the fire hiding in smoke. Right. Which is again what the log lady I think says in one of the yeah. one of the first season episodes. But fire seems to be this idea of this sort of out of control element of your personality almost. Mm. Uh, that it's a it's a I mean the log ladies the log lady's wonderful lines to Laura in Fire Walk with Me where she says, when this kind of fire starts to burn, it's hard to put out. Mm. Uh, and so the idea that the fire is something I think everyone has in them, mm. but it is something that can begin to burn out of control. And there's the idea of keeping the fire controlled. Mm. And so what does Fire Walk with Me mean? It's a fascinating thing. Fire Walk with Me, fire, I want to keep myself balanced and mm. control of that darker side or that raging side, but maybe it doesn't walk with me. Maybe it consumes me. Mm. Fire is the quote-unquote evil side. It's sort of like putting it in very simple terms. You know, we see a lot of fire imagery throughout Lynch's work and it oftentimes explosive fire. Mm. It's just fire that's just sort of raging and and I think that idea that it, it's in you, in everyone, and it can get out of control, sometimes to an explosive degree. Yeah. And uh, so I think it's a fascinating metaphor. You know, what does beyond the fire mean? Mm. After the death? I mean, the fire was, I, I have 
I think somewhere, I think even in my book, I said something, the idea that maybe after the fire means the fire was snuffed out, that Laura mm. is dead. Mm. Um, I think uh, Joel has has looked at it differently, that it, it doesn't necessarily mean the end of fire, but I don't want to put words in his mouth. But but so there's a lot to, there really is a lot to unwrap there. It's, it's fascinating. It's perfect for your podcasts. Yes. Unwrapping <laughs> the fire. So, um, awesome. yeah. but fascinating idea of what fire is. Joel recently interviewed you, and he's, I think it's going to be uh, something on his yeah. blog. Yes. Here. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to reading that. Yeah, you know, he captured me at a certain moment in time uh, where I, you know, sometimes I was, even with you guys, I'm just sort of thinking out loud with some of these these ideas. I don't have them totally firmed up in my head. We were basically brainstorming about the the book, and he's going to transcribe and print that, but I'll bet you that by the time he does that, I'll have five different <laughs> ideas about the book. So how, where can people follow you and learn more about you and get your book? And this is Obviously, the book is available on Amazon. Uh, you can get the Kindle version and the uh, paper hard copy. It's the essential wrap in plastic. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Thorn Whip, which is T-H-O-R-N-E-W-I-P. And then I've been posting on the blog above the store.blogspot.com. And that's been fun. I've enjoyed throwing stuff up there. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that blog again. I mean, I, oh, you're, that blog, is you've done a great job with it. It's even better than I thought. I know. For, I feel like it's been years <laughs> I've been saying, I hope you write more. I hope you write more. And now you're like several times a month you're posting stuff and it's you're going through your archives and finding all sorts of stuff. I feel like I'm learning new stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think I may have mentioned this before on on your show. I I do have a lot of material from Wrapped in Plastic. Just a lot of material that is not in the book, mm. uh, and um, I don't want to reprint all of that. I can't really anyway. I just you know not not capable of doing it. And 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 some well, great much of that material is not even mine. Mm. Uh, it's uh, other authors. Sam Umland wrote a, a long and really well argued essay about his interpretation of hotel room, and that's in print in Wrapped in Plastic number twenty two. That's his that's his essay. I, mm. I can't reprint any of it. Uh, I never I never would without his permission. But there are stuff, there are things that Craig and I wrote, uh, interviews that we did, and I like to take small pieces of it uh, and and put it on the blog to give you a taste of what we did. It usually, it's very relevant to something. I did uh, a little interview piece that we had with um, the uh, cinematographer on Blue Velvet, Frederick Elms. I, we did a long interview with him about a bunch of stuff, but we did some questions about Blue Velvet, and I thought, oh, you know what? I'll just put those four questions we did and put those up on the blog. The rest of the interview, uh, the long interview is still in print in wrapped in plastic and I won't put the whole thing up because mm. I, I, I really can't and, and I don't want to. There are some good things in there and for a blog, you know, give you five minutes of reading and you can and get something kind of cool that's out of print. So awesome. One of your recent posts you mentioned about Harley Payton, the, the issue that you did. Uh, yeah. And you have Craig and, and you sitting down on the couch right next to Harley Payton and I believe maybe interviewing him, but it was like, it was that's great. Cool. Such a great picture of you guys. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, of course, the funny story about that I've told this story to lots of people before is that we were visiting Peyton on set while he was at a he was film he's producer of a film 
that starred Eric Stoltz and James Spader. And we were on the set, uh, on location, mm. interviewing Peyton. And Eric Stoltz and James Spader were popping in and out. At one point, James Spader actually sat down with us uh, <laughs> and, and asked questions, too. He wanted to know. He got really kind of into it about Twin Peaks and, and David Lynch. And he was really intrigued. Uh, Eric Stoltz, a little less so. <laughs> he mm. was dancing around us, uh, making fun of the whole thing. It was, it was all in jest and, and, you know, fun. Uh, uh, but I, I think Eric Stoltz took that picture that I put up. I, oh. I remember I, when I looked at it, I'm like, well, hmm, Harley didn't take it. Craig didn't take it. I didn't take it. Who, <laughs> who took it? And nice. the only other two people in the room were, were Spader and Stoltz. I think I remember Eric Stoltz taking that picture. And that was a lot of fun to talk mm. to Peyton in person and, and just, you know, one of those experiences where you where you kind of go off script on the interview and it becomes a conversation less, you know, than, than just sort of that back and forth question, answer, question, answer. It was, it was a lot of fun. That whole interview is just great. It's in Wrapped in Plastic 17. I put a little bit bit of it up but it, there is a lot of material we talk about all kinds of things in in that interview a lot yeah. of fun and some of it's in your book as well right i mean some of that yeah anything that harley uh did talk about twin peaks i put in the book mm. uh but we talked about other television we talked about books we talked about films we talked about the, the movie he was working on at at the time which may not be of any interest to anyone now but but it's interesting just to hear these creative people mm. and their approach to the different work and you know it, it's wonderful that harley's got this new show out now yeah you know, yeah, he's got a yeah. he's he's got this Channel cool Zero. show out now and love it. How great is that that yeah. he's producing a new fun work? Right. Uh, it's great. Well, thank you, John. We appreciate your time and. Uh we hope we can talk to you again soon. Yeah, look forward to it. It's always a lot of fun to talk to you guys. And you guys, I've said it to you uh, personally. I'll say it for the world to hear. You guys do such a great job. You really do. It's I listen to it. I try to listen to it every week. You do great research. You got lots of good guests. Got my thumbs up. <laughs> and that, honestly, and that's all we need. Honestly, that means a lot. I mean, yeah, especially from you know. I mean, I've been a fan of Wrapped in Plastic since the first issue, and it means a lot to hear that from you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. So, Brian, we've got uh, episode two here of the Log Lady intros. This episode is going to be focused on Cooper's Dream, the, the legendary classic Cooper's Dream there with the little man and the red room. It's Oh, I'm yeah. excited. I like breaking down these uh, the Log Lady intros. Some of my favorite stuff from Twin Peaks are these intros. I've seen these before, obviously, but near the end... Of season two, I didn't get a chance to watch them. Mm. So I'm really excited to get to the ones I haven't seen before. Yeah, let's get to it. So here is Log Lady intro episode two. Sometimes ideas, like men, jump up and say, hello? They introduce themselves, these ideas, with words. Are they words? These ideas speak so strangely. All that we see in this world is based on someone's ideas. Some ideas are destructive, some are constructive. Some ideas can arrive in the form of a dream. I can say it again. Some ideas arrive in the form of a dream. In the form of a dream. So basically, that's like Cooper in the dreams 
giving us clues to the murderer or mm. events that will help find the murderer. Break the code, solve the crime. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. It's, she starts off by saying, some ideas, like men, jump up and say hello. For some reason, I, it made me think of uh, Firewalk With Me and there's a jumping man. You know? Yes, I'm you're sure right. Had, I'm sure it had nothing to do with that, but it's funny that I, all I could think of was the jip, 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 like jumping up and down. You're there. right. And you know what I think about? I think how David Lynch gets ideas and does it. Like, I have an idea about putting Josie in a uh, wooden handle. Do it. Just do it. You know, but he jumps, he's a man with ideas. Yes. And sometimes it almost feels like it's like a meta. It's like he's talking about, a lot of what he's talking about David Lynch. And like, Mm. sometimes maybe his ideas aren't going to be cohesive. So you have Mark Frost come in and he can decipher it and make it work. And then sometimes you're also going to have David Lynch come in and be like, can you change this? I want to do this. And you have people like Harley Payton. We can't. We have to do a TV show. You yeah. can't just jump up and down with an idea and tell us to do it because we have to have this out and we can't change things. Hmm. And it's kind of interesting how it all ties in. Yeah. There's this book that's 10th anniversary. It's called Catching the Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. And that, it was by David Lynch, and it came out 10 years. They're surprise, surprise. Yeah, they're t- it's celebrating the 10th anniversary. But it's interesting. He has a whole idea about catching these ideas and meditation. And- so you almost feel like the Log Lady, I mean, the show is based around David Lynch. Lynch catching ideas. Oh yeah! Whenever he was, it seems like whenever he was in it, he, he you know before the second season premiere, he'd call Mark Frost up. I just figured out something. There's a giant in Cooper's room. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, well, what are we gonna do with that? But, uh-huh. You know, but it's kind of like he just likes the idea of a giant hanging out in Cooper's bedroom there. And I think that's what makes David Lynch so like amazing as a person. Yeah. Like this is him and his world and his mind has just got to be just. If we could just jump in it, man, it must be crazy. It mm. must be like Twin Peaks season three. Um, but, you know, but <laughs> it, I think it's so cool. But, yeah, it's almost like the log lady, it is, she's talking about the episode in some form or way, but you can dig deeper into this layer of is is Lynch talking about himself there, you know? Yeah. yeah this made me think about when I was in college, um, one of the things I studied in communications was uh, semiotics. And semiotics is like the study of signs or study of meaning, mm. uh, meaning yep. making and stuff like that. And it's interesting, there's this whole idea in the way that, like, you know, we're both sitting in chairs right now, but, you know, we have this packet and agreement that what we're sitting in is called a chair. It's like... It's fascinating in some ways that we have to agree upon what the meaning of something like is. Like if I said, no, this is not a chair. This is an orange. You'd be yes. like, no, Brian, it's not an orange. Right. We've all in society determined this is not an orange. Right. Or money. We've all decided just because it says. This paper, right? It's paper. <laughs> yeah. Worthless paper. But because it says a one on it, it's worth one dollar. Mm, but right. it's only worth what we perceive it to be worth. Because exactly. if, if one day we all woke up and said, this $1 bill is worthless, I think it would be worthless. Yes. If we all said that, though, right. the problem is if you're the one person against the sea of fish, you're the crazy person. <laughs> right? You're like, this is worth nothing. Everybody, you're crazy. Right. But if everybody said it, you'd be like, oh, that's genius. Right. It is and worth so, it. Right. And some of these people are geniuses in the sense that they break the rules because they mm. see it as there are no rules. They're, it's like, this is just our society saying that this has meaning. And it's like, well, yeah. what if I go away from that and I do my own thing? They have like this power to say, no, I'm going to break away from these chains society has put on me and I'm going to do it this right. way. And, and Twin Peaks is definitely very much about 
about symbols, the wind going through trees or the street lights or, or even the pie or the fan spinning. You have all these things and it's like, is there meaning behind that? Or is this just something that Lynch does? Yeah, like seriously, Lynch could have just said, I like the fan. Yes. But we all put meaning behind right. that fan. But Lynch, as we all know, he will never tell us, right. which is the ingenious part. But what if there was no meaning? What if he was just like, I like the, the, the mood it brings. Yeah. But we're all like, no, it means something. Right. But and it, that's yeah, cool. Right. It's very cool. And it's funny. He may have not had any meaning. And it seems like he did add meaning to Firewalk With Me because it seems like Leland turns on the fan and then that seems to be the act of him yeah. raping his daughter. Yeah. Like yeah, that, yeah. Where it's like, now maybe there was no meaning, but now there's this meaning of like something bad is going to happen now yeah. after this yeah. turning on the fan. So it is now time for us to talk about who will be in season three of Twin Peaks. So who do we got today, Ben? Well, I thought we'd touch on three people. We touch on Machen Amick, yep. who played Shelley. My favorite. Dana Ashbrook, who played uh, Bobby Briggs. Bobby Briggs. And Cheryl Lee, who played Laura Palmer. Yep. So the interesting thing is that we learned from the, the uh, 2014 UK Fest that Dana Ashbrook came, and he, he mentioned there in the audience that both him and Cheryl Lee would be on the show. So how did you find out about season three at his age? I was at home on a Monday and I got texts from my uh, other half, so the daughter, my fiance, um, her uh, cousin was the first person to text me at like eight in the morning. He was like, oh my God, did you see this? And I saw it and I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? And I immediately texted Cheryl. I immediately texted Kimmy, and I immediately texted Nature. And all three of them were like, huh? <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, at least they don't know, because I know they would know if they would, you know? <laughs> and then a couple hours later, I got a text from Cheryl and Finn, and she was like, I talked to David, we're going back to Twin Peaks, we're going to have some fun. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know what that meant. And then Cheryl told me when I got here that David said that we're both So she to take me to the airport to pick. First off, I'll go backwards a little bit, and I'll say this really fast. He texted me, and because he was on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast, so he got the news first about the show. And I thought it was a total joke, or like some weird publicity, like April Fool's thing. And I was like, no way, no way, no, I know that, that can't be true. Then I found out, yes, in fact, it was true. And then, um, you know, had sent David an email, is this true, is this true, yes, it's true. And then we were all kind of texting and calling, have you heard from him, have you heard from him? We got a call, we got a call, like, we're all pretty close. And everybody's just like, you know. So then um, David had called me and I had missed his call and, and called him back and was waiting for him to call me back. And so the car to bring me to the airport, to bring me to here, 
was pulling into my driveway and the phone rings and it's David and I'm like, I just have a couple minutes because the car is here to take me to the Twin Peaks Festival. And he said, well, you tell them you are and Dana is. And... That was so long ago. I know, when you think about it. <laughs> It seems like uh, Machen Amick has been part of this forever. I mean, she was involved with the Save, uh, Save the Lynch. Show with David Lynch. Yeah. And she, was, she seemed to be the one that really pushing to make this video of uh, uh, the show wouldn't be the same without David so Lynch. So Showtime wasn't going to pay what Lynch wanted to do the show. So they were like, well, we'll do it without you. And basically they came out and said, no, Twin Peaks can't happen without David right. Lynch. Yep. That's really cool. That was really cool. And that shows really the character of David Lynch and how much these people love him and know, they know that this show exists in Lynch's and Mark Frost's head. Yeah. And there's no one out there that could tell it. And they don't want someone else to come in and try to do it because it wouldn't be the same. And that's really cool that they did that. Yeah, and I when I saw that video, I thought, okay, the people who are doing this are probably going to be in the new show. Like, I just assumed that. It didn't mean it's true. They could have just be yeah. uh, supporters of David Lynch. But I thought, hey, maybe they know that... They, they get a job? <laughs> they have a job. And they the only person they want to do the job with is David Lynch. So, Major Amick, uh, she, you know, she's on Twitter. And every once in a while, she will post pictures. And one picture she had post is of her in... Blue uniform. Her old uniform. Her old uh, double Di- R yeah. diner uniform. And it's really just showing her uh, looking down at her feet. Yep. But that seemed to confirm that she was still playing a waitress, it would assume. And that depresses me. <laughs> but can this. What are you saying? Is that a, a legit profession to be a waitress? Well, I was a waiter for 10 years. Yes. It is a legit thing. It is, but-, but it depresses me. But let me. I guess we're going to. I'm going to. We're going to. We're going to focus. On Dana Ashbrook and make uh, Machen Amick here, and or, I wanted to mention Cheryl Lee. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll focus on them too, and then we'll get to yeah, Cheryl, Cheryl Lee. Lee. But, but before you get it, I want you to tell your oh, theory. Oh yeah, before my theory, I get yeah. To theory. One other picture was uh, we had a picture of Machen Amick, and she's in front of a lunchbox. Yes, a and, lunch pail and a lunch pail, and it says Twin Peaks Sheriff Department. That is cool. And with those images, I will let you run and say, what is your theories about Bobby Briggs and Shelly Johnson in the new series? Okay, all right, my theory. So let me start off by saying the reason I find Shelly, her character in the waitress uniform, makes me depressed. It's because that I would have hoped that in season three, that Bobby and her, because they had the sweet ending. I Mm. liked that ending. It was sweet. (laughs) And I liked... The um, arc they went through to get where they got. Right. But that makes me feel that Bobby didn't hold up on his side of the bargain about providing for her and getting a real job. That makes me think that she's supporting him. I would hope that she's smart enough to get another job outside of the double R. But maybe the double R has always been good to her and it's a consistent job. So she keeps it. And, and maybe... Because Bobby just is a loser and he can't get anything. He can't keep anything. She has to support them. And that makes me sad that it should have been... Bobby should have gotten straightened up a little bit. 
There's pl- there's plenty of couples that both work. I mean, no, there's no, no. I, I know, I know. But in this fantasy world, it's a fantasy <laughs> world. Bobby was always like, "I'm gonna take care of you, baby. I'm yeah. gonna be. I'm gonna have the uh, crazy antics, and we're gonna make all this money." Clearly, it hasn't happened. But he used her half the time to yes. get what he wanted. It's like, oh, we should do the Miss Twin Peaks, and we'll become rich. I know, and it didn't happen. Yeah. But at the end, he saw that sweet ending. So I'm, I pictured them getting married. Maybe having a kid of their own. My theory now seeing those two photos is that Bobby's still up to the schemes. They're probably still together, but Uh it could be complicated. If they were on Facebook, relationship status would be complicated. Complicated. Um, It's complicated. And I think that she gets frustrated with him. She's probably supporting them somehow. And maybe she just feels she's in a dead end and she's just stuck in this town. Maybe. Yeah. We don't even know how long they're going to be in the show. Right. Like, we don't know. They could be just side characters. Like, the, you know, sure. who knows, right? Do you want my theory on this? Yeah, I want to hear your right. theory. I'm surprised you didn't say this when we saw the pictures. I'm thinking Bobby Briggs is Sheriff of Twin Peaks. Wow. <laughs> she's got the uh, she's got the Sheriff lunchbox. That he should be making enough that, that she... Well, maybe uh, she likes her job. She, she loves her, her job. Jobs. I mean, maybe, maybe she's she... taken over the double R. You never know. <sighs> That's... Right? Didn't even think of that. I mean, I think, yeah, I won't say anything else about getting But kids. she could be. But she, she could have taken over. Yeah. She could have taken over. You're right. But I like the idea of Bobby Briggs, who's kind of like a punk. He grows up to be kind of like his dad. I like that. And theory. I think, I don't know if um, Michael Horse is on in the interview we did with him or where I read this, but Michael Horse, I, I'm pretty sure, is not the sheriff. You you and your, uh, the the glass half empty with Bobby still scheming. I'm thinking it's it's half full and saying that he actually turned out all right. And I like that. I like that idea. You know, his father, remember the dream his father had that he saw a, a bright future for him. He, he he saw this white house and that things good things were going to happen in his life. And so I like to believe mm. he, he, got, he married Shelly. I guess I'm being too negative with my theory. <laughs> but this, yeah. We need that. You need yeah, to yeah. be negative so I can say yeah. he married Shelly. He is a police officer in Twin Peaks. And, uh, you know, he's doing good work. He's, and maybe Shelly owns the diner. Shelly owns the diner. And maybe Bobby's stopping punks that he used to be. He, he can stop some kid and say, you know, I used to be you. Yeah, right? Little, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I like that idea. The episode of Psych where Bobby owns the diner. Yes. They're pseudo people of Twin Peaks right. and Psych yes. where he owns a diner. I don't know if Mage and Amick was in that. She was not. She was not, but no. Bobby was, and he owned the diner, right. which is kind of cool. Very cool. So, yeah, I, I like your theory, Ben. I think I like your theory more than my theory. My theory is a little bit depressing, only because Twin Peaks can be kind of... It can be. I mean, there's a lot of characters that seem like their their life is a mess, and they're... I mean, it's a soap opera. I'm interested to see how they handle these two characters. Mm-hmm. Um... Shelly's is one of my favorites, and he is one of my favorites. And they um, came full circle in that, yeah. in the sense the pilot started with them in the diner, and mm. and he he was sneaking around with Shelly, yeah. not letting anybody know that he was secretly with her because she. Well, she still was married, but she was married, and she, they had to keep it secret. And then it ends with him being very open, and they're passionately kissing, and they love each other. And yeah. it seemed like a, it came full circle, but at the same time, it seemed it's, like it all worked out. For she them. was in an abusive marriage, right. which she needs to get out of, mm. and you know. We don't know what's going to happen to her husband. I think he's going to die. Those tarantulas falling on his face. <laughs> he's still there. Or it's going to be a skeleton right, right. With, with these tarantulas just hanging over him. They never found Wyndham Earl's cabin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just dies. Right. Yeah. So one other thing is like, so if they're a couple, I mean, it's hard to imagine, but it's been 25 years. Mm. They could also have a kid as That's well. That's what I'm saying. I think they have a kid. You think My they do, theory yeah. and your theory both, we agree that a child from both of them 
would be cool. Mm. And I think almost a child from both of them would show that they stuck together. And right. They love each other enough. They want to have a kid. Life might be not going their way or might be going their way, but that could be their common ground. And Bobby has to smack the kid with the, when he's smoking at the table. <laughs> <laughs> and it flies into the Shelly's meatloaf. Yeah, we love you. <laughs> we also have Cheryl Lee on the list here. Yeah. I mean, this is a big character in some ways. I mean, we have... How I mean, is this going to be? Well, we, this is an easy thing to set up, right? I mean, we end the series with... With Laura Palmer saying, I'll see you again in 25 years. She's still in the Black uh, black Lodge. Right. Yeah. Either that's her doppelganger or it's her, but it's like some form of... It's, I think it's her. Yeah. Because she's dead. Like, I, I feel that's her up there. And maybe you, we do get that doppelganger look when she has the white eyes and she's acting and funny. She's just meanwhile. Uh-huh. But then in Firewalk With Me, when Cooper's beside her and she can, she can uh, leave, mm. we've just... We've talked about this. I feel like now that her her story has come literally full circle, Cooper's love or passion to figure it out saved her and allowed her to move on in life. I feel, and I think you said the same thing, I feel like um, it's going to be her turn to repay the favor mm-hmm. and save Cooper. And I almost feel when we saw Cooper with when he was older, mm. it was almost looking to the future. Yes, and she, the dream. We're talking yeah, about the Cooper's dream. dream yeah. And she is almost saying, warning him, like, you're. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help you now. Right. And I think that's what we're going to see. We're going to see her helping him. But it's weird. He helped her on the other side in the real world, and now it's going to be almost like now she's got to help him in that world. Yeah. So they're, they're, they need each other. Yeah, but they're like not in the same universe, but they're helping each <laughs> other. And you know when people say the universe speaks or things happen for a reason? Right. Or I have a garden angel or something? It's almost like that sort of feel like hmm. that universe is helping the other universe. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and you don't even know it. Now, you haven't, I mean, at some point, we're going to do that feature of uh, in between between two worlds that's on the Blu-ray. We have not yeah, gotten to that. Yeah. There might be some uh, some more information about Laura Palmer in that. Ooh, so at some I'm point, excited. So you don't have all the information. There'll be more. Ah. So at some point, we will I never that. seem to have all the information. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's what makes the show work. Yeah, you, yeah. You're always in the dark. I'm even always in the dark. Even though we've gone through the whole series and the movie. And the still, books. And the books, you still don't have all the information. Oh, but, I mean, so what's your theory? about her character do you think we're gonna see her playing another family member or do you think that's we've already seen that well i said to you that i don't know if this was a joke but there was talk that if there had been a season three back in the 90s that she was going to be a redhead and she was going to play another character so maybe she would be another cousin or something yeah but do you feel like that was too much it's been done or no yeah i feel like i mean it'd be kind of interesting to have another her as another character like, but at the same time, I feel like there's plenty of material for her as Laura Palmer. Yeah. I feel like there's plenty of things, and she could be Maddie too. I mean, she. But Maddie's gone. But, but both of those could be in the red room. So that's there's, true. there's plenty of. I feel like there's a lot of material still to go in. So, I I'd be happy to see more of Cheryl Lee in any part she wants to do. Yep. But at the same time, I'm happy with just Laura Palmer. But. Yeah, I. You know, interesting how. Twin Peaks season one, season two dealt with Laura Palmer when she was dead, and we saw her alive in Firewalk with me. But it'd be really cool to see her interact and really focus with her in the Black Lodge. And now, Brian, it's time for the guest of the week. (laughs) 
so we're on the phone with H. Perry Horton. Hi, Perry. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I first learned about you through your, you were doing uh, Twin Peaks Tuesdays, where you were doing a, a, a like a post every Tuesday, and now I think you're doing Twin Peaks Guides. That's right, yeah. I started off the column on One Perfect Shot about uh, probably about six months ago. And yeah, in the beginning, it was just a series of, of essays, you know, on different topics. But after about 18 or 20 of those, I started running out of ideas. So, uh, <laughs> and we'd always intended to do an episode guide leading up to season three. But, uh, you know, the less they tell us about when that's starting, we just decided to go ahead and, and start the episode guide. So we could have it done before the new stuff got going. It's every every week you're doing an episode. Every week we do an episode, yes. Mm. Uh, so yeah, we're we're right at pretty much the halfway point. We'll do one a week until they're done, and then we'll jump into we'll do a synopsis of Firewalk with me, and then hopefully by then we'll have some more concrete information on when we can expect season three. You've got an essay collection uh, between two worlds, a perspective of Twin Peaks that just came out. Yeah, and so it's it's some of the essays that were in that original column. Uh, mm. Twin Peaks Tuesdays, and I expanded some of them and added some more information, and then we came, I came up with uh, a couple more ideas and wrote those in, and in addition to the essays, there's a complete episode guide, including a full section on Firewalk With Me, which has its own, and then I uh, I crafted a little something crazy for the end. I it's, it's a speculative essay on how Mulholland Drive can be viewed as a Twin Peaks film, oh, wow. if you choose to. Nice. Yeah, it was a... It was a pretty exhaustive, <laughs> it was a pretty exhaustive research project that involved watching Mulholland Drive a bunch of times. But I think I got some sound arguments in there. That's awesome, and it's reasonably priced. It's on Kindle for two ninety nine. That's right, two ninety nine on Kindle. Uh, we, we're talking about doing a, a paperback copy, and even that probably wouldn't be more than, than eleven or twelve bucks. But right now, the Kindle copy is, is available for pre order at just two ninety nine. And then a book that comes out to about you know, I think it was around two hundred fifty pages. That's a that's a sweet deal. That's a sweet that is deal. awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Do you want to tell us how you got into Twin Peaks? I was, uh, you know, I'm I'm thirty nine now, so I was just a touch too young when it came out originally on TV. I was 11, but my dad was a giant fan. Mm. And so every, you know, the next morning he's talking in circles about this weird show that nobody can get a handle on. (laughs) Uh, And so it ended up being a couple years before I got my hands on that first VHS box set that they Mm. put out. And man, I just, I just wore the writing off of it. I just, I played it over and over again. It's about a junior, senior in high school at this point. So it's around 94. And yeah, and from there, it just, it opened the Lynch floodgates. And so I spent a lot of time on Twin Peaks and then went back through all the movies. And I'm I'm in college when Lost Highway comes out and that Mm. was just a a really big deal for me. And so, yeah. And since then, you know, I've, I've come back to the series at least once every couple of years. Just, just for fun, just to rewatch it because it, you know it's one of those things that the more you see it, the more you learn about it, the more you recognize. And have you had a chance to pick up Mark Frost's new book? I just finished it the other day. Ah, nice. nice. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was really unexpected, and, and yeah, just some of the, some of the, the twists and character that he pulled out. It, it got me very excited for mm. for what they can do. I, I feel like he really exploded the mythology of Twin Peaks and just gave a, a lot of room to work in. Oh yeah. What is your feelings about the new series coming out in uh, 2017? Oh, I, I mean, I, I don't think I could be any more excited if I was personally involved. <laughs> I, it's just, I mean, for, for on one hand, it's it's so incredible. I think that for a show that was canceled a quarter century ago, that there's been a, a large enough fan base to keep it alive this long that mm. bringing it back is even a commercially viable thing yeah that's amazing in and of itself but the fact that these two guys have had that long to think about what they do mm. what they want to do to think about what they could have done it could just be really incredible and i think lynch is at a really interesting point in his career right now having not made you know a real feature since inland i think mm. 
I think this is going to be very revolutionary for television as a medium. This could be the, the best is that they, you have both of them working on this together, Frost and Lynch. So much credit is given to Lynch for the original series, but when you actually look at you know his involvement, it's mostly at the very beginning of it. And so I think... Yeah, getting these two guys back in a room together to talk about this stuff. I, man, what it would have given to have been in that room. <laughs> but I think we're all going to be in that room next year, and oh, I, I yeah. really think it's going to be spectacular. Awesome. The book has done a lot to, to convince me that, that this is going to be something truly amazing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I've read most of your uh, your column and stuff, which is awesome. I really liked uh, everything you put out. And it's good stuff. There's a lot of stuff to explore, and so you know, I just sort of took my crack at it. Right now, you can go to Amazon Kindle and get Between Two Worlds: Perspectives in Twin Peaks by H. Perry Horton. Thank you, Perry. And now is one of our favorite times of the week. Joel Baco was lost in Twin Peaks. prepared for when Twin Peaks comes out and you know people who haven't watched it at all that might be like yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna like I might have They're friends jump right in not all of them are gonna watch the old show it, first. exactly and I'm almost like afraid you know like <laughs> you we all love this show and you embraced it and you're like looking forward to this and there might be people we know who watched season three and say yeah what is this this is weird this is why do you like this so? This is bizarre. Oh, I've already. I tried to show. I tried to get people into Twin Peaks and some. You know. Yeah. This is sometimes was just a totally fell flat. That mm. show in the pilot, and we made it about twenty thirty minutes in, and just not feeling it. And it's like, uh, let's just stop here. And then I showed them the red room scene. They're like, "What the hell is that?" I'm like, "Well, you have to see that scene." And that's kind of the litmus. I'm like, "That's the litmus test." Like, yes. I'm okay with you never watching Twin Peaks. But you have to see that scene before yeah. you decide. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny in the rating. So, like a lot of people, just yeah, it's not their cup of tea or yeah. coffee. <laughs> if you look at so, the rating, the new show is going to even be different from that. So it's like there'll be divides of people who just don't like any Twin Peaks or Lynch. Yeah. People who like the old but not the new. People who like the new but not the old. People who like both. Yep. For the same reason, people like both because they think they're really different. You know, so it's going to run the gamut. Definitely. But this is going to be, I mean, we've been talking about how the old show wasn't totally Lynch. It was all this other stuff. Well, the new show, you know, Frost is going to be there for every episode. So they're all going to bear his imprint. But Lynch is going to be there for every episode as well. And he's directing every episode. So, and he's directing it like a film. So, I mean, what that means is this is going to be full on Lynch in, mm. in some ways. Yes, Frost will be a part of it, but that's, let me put it this way. Frost will be in a part of a part of it in a way that doesn't dilute Lynch. Mm, yep. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not going to be like Frost is this and Lynch. It's going to be like he's going to be there on top of or underneath or whatever, whatever Lynch is doing. Full stop. I think so. I'm not expecting it to be tame. Mm. I think people are saying it's going to be. Look, this is like he knows this is TV. Yes, it's cable, and you can do more now. But he knows this is Twin Peaks, and it's a little different. And he's going to tone it down from like whatever. I don't think he will. I think maybe stylistically, because he's telling sort of a 
week to week story. He can't go as you know as crazy as as uh, Inland Empire. But so I think narratively, it, yes, it will be more structured, but only in the mm. sense of like Mulholland Drive, conventional, mm. you know, um, which is not a very conventional film. So I, I, yeah, I I don't see I absolutely just do not foresee this being in the vein of the original series, honest, to be quite honest. Hmm. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. And I don't think um, a lot of it's going to take place in the town, to be honest. Wow. And that's just my hunch. Just, you know, knowing that they shot a bunch of places. Okay. And, you know, I don't think that's spoilery particularly like that. You know, they, sh- they shot in different locations. Maybe those locations are going to be part of Twin Peaks, but uh, you know, I'd be surprised if it's all taking place within the town. But but moreover, it just doesn't, something about it, ever since they announced it, before anything else was mentioned, I just had this feeling like the way Frost was talking about it, and he said, will the whole thing take place in Twin Peaks? And he said, well, we're very cognizant of the fact that it's called, the show is called Twin Peaks, so we'll see some different, and he's, I, I wish I could quote it directly, but he gave this answer, which kind of planted the seed in me that, this show is not going to be held within the bounds of the town. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I think in a way it's, and this is total speculation on my part, I feel like it may be sort of a return path to back to Twin Peaks, return to like that kind of concept. Hmm. I don't think it's going to start there for sure. I really don't. Hmm, I think yeah. it'll start somewhere else and somehow Cooper or whoever um, is going to make their way back to to Twin Peaks, and there will be at least, you know, several episodes there, and I think there's been discussion about that, I think, and some people know more than others. I haven't paid attention to a lot of stuff, so I don't know if there's been spoilers or leaks or anything in the past, really in the past year or six months, since they stopped shooting, you know. Hmm. Um, I heard some stuff during that, which I won't get into. I know you, you know. Yeah, least, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of you doesn't want to know anything. I don't want to know, I don't know anything um, either. But yeah, in the past like four or five months, there hasn't been much. But I just have this sense of it. I have this sense that it's going to be at least as different from the show as Firewalk With Me is. And it'll be different from Firewalk With Me as well. Um, It's not going to be really like either of them. I think it's going to be very different. And yeah, I think there'll be some people who are upset who are expecting to sit down and just flow right back into that kind of soap opera. I don't think it's going to have a soap opera format. Mm. Here's why. Because... At the time in 1990, they were sort of playing with the form of soap opera because it was really a, seen as like a relevant cultural form that was, you know, the nighttime soap, Dallas, yeah, Dynasty, those were big shows. Um, I know there are shows like that now. I'm not sure that they're as, as much in the zeitgeist as they were back then. And they're not certainly not on Showtime. So they're going on Showtime. There's a whole new kind of genre, if you can call it that, of, of cable shows. They have a different feel. They have a different vibe. They're not really the soap opera thing of like, let's check in with the romances and stuff this week. Let's check in with that stuff that week. Um, that's just not really like, I don't see any reason for them to play with that this time. They want to go back and visit the characters and, and see them and do stuff with them. But, you know, Lynch's work, even though he has his own unique vision, it still is car. It corresponds with the times. Mm. Um, there's always some, it always is a part of larger phenomena that are going on and sort of response to the times. Dennis Lim in his book, uh, the man, the man from another place, I think it's called, mm. he does a pretty good job of like doing that with each film where he sidesteps and says, now, you know, look at, um, Eraserhead in light of like sort of punk and post-punk and mid seventies kind of 
gritty culture and stuff and it fits in with that look at like you know obviously the big one that everyone talks about is blue velvet with reaganism where you're kind of showing this all-american pleasing surface but there's this whole world underneath that's being kind of concealed because you know the 80s was 10 years after the 70s 20 years after the 60s that stuff hadn't gone away but there was a sense in which it was being kind of obscured and so a lot of people read blue velvet as a film responding to that and so mm. forth you know Mulholland Drive came out at a time when puzzle films were becoming sort of all the rage and a lot of people took to it in that way and it brought a whole new generation to Lynch who, you know, maybe too much so are sort of analyzing and what does it all mean and like it's memento or something and you can just perfectly piece it together. Every step of the way, he's he's part of the zeitgeist. Mm. I mean, look at Lost Highway, the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm, you got, yes. you know, VHS all over it. You've got a soundtrack that's very of that moment. That's probably his most overtly, like, zeitgeisty film, you mm. know? Wild at Heart. Really, all of them have that. They, there's a timeless, like, quality to them. There's a sort of nostalgic 50s quality oftentimes. But there's also something that's relevant to the times. Mm. So I don't see them coming back and just saying, we're going to pick up where we left off in 1991 with you know, sharing equal time with all these soap opera uh, mm. subplots and this sort of cozy small town. And I just don't, I don't know that that's what's in the air for them right now. I, I obviously, I think we're, you know, we know we're going to see a lot of these characters again. I do think a lot of it will be cameos. Mm. Um, I don't think they're all going to have their own storyline. I really don't. But, um, and you know, again, this is all me. This is like hunches and, and sort of, what I think, I could be totally wrong. I could get, it could start up with like, you know, Norman, Ed, and Nadine, <laughs> like, you know, sharing breakfast at the table and like, hey, she's been here for 25 years. Is she ever going to leave or something? You know, like, it's like, I could be wrong. But that's my sense of it. Right, that's yeah. my sense of it is that it's going to have more of a clear through line than just being totally equal time ensemble. And I feel like it's going to be sort of framed like a frame within, a, you know, just like, the, the every step every step of Twin Peaks, Lynch does this thing where he like almost kind of frames what already happened. He looks at it almost abstractly and very self consciously. So like for example, there's the you know, the pilot in the first season they set this Twin Peaks template and it's already kind of you know, people called it postmodern, rightly or wrongly, where mm. it's everything's a little bit in quotation marks and you have these idiosyncratic things. But then he even goes a step back from that and in the season two premiere it's like a meta commentary on the show. They got the people, hmm. you know, at the, okay, everybody loves the donuts and coffee in Twin Peaks. Well, now we've got this gross hospital food and, you know, hmm. but everybody loves how like, you know, um, cheerful Cooper is. And he's in this episode. He's like been shot in the gut and he's a little bit off and he's just doing all these subversions already in the hmm. season two premiere. And then he keeps doing it every time it comes back. He does it in the, reveal and finale and then he big time does it in firewalk with me where there's a whole town that's a subversion of twin peaks mm -hmm. uh, you know where everything's the opposite so he loves to keep going in and just kind of like flipping everything on its head and almost like looking at it uh through like the opposite end of a binoculars where it's just like you know you're looking at it in this weird almost like more objective way there's that sense in everything he does um, and yeah. Mulholland Drive, obviously, he does that with the film. The first two thirds of it are this one thing. And then you look at it through a different lens for the last third where you're seeing all the same characters, but they're all different. Mm. Something's odd. Mm. And that actually brings me to something else, which is I really think there's going to be alternate universe scenarios going on in this in this series. Hmm. I don't know how explicit it's going to be. I don't know how literal it's going to be in terms of like, here's the wormhole into the, you know, something <laughs> like that. I I think it'll be more like what he does in Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive, 
um, a little more sort of dreamlike. Mm. But I really do think we're going to be seeing characters like, Wait, what's this character doing here? How can they, you know, I mean, look at all the cast members who are dead, <laughs> who are mm. appearing in the new series. Right. Yeah. Are they going to be alive in it or are they going to be spirits or what? Like, mm. we don't yeah. know. We, right. just, we don't, we have no idea. Are they going to be playing different characters? It's, anything could happen. Um, but it just, if you look at everything Lynch has done, since Firewalking Me, other than um, Straight Story, it all involves, every single one involves that. Inland Empire, mm. Lost uh, Highway, Mulholland Drive. There's multiple levels of reality, and characters are shifting identities all the time. Mm. And two people play one person, and one person plays two people. Um, you know, Martha Nelkomson writes about this in, a lot in her newer book, David Lynch Swerves, talking about how he uses ideas that are popular in, in, in quantum physics that he's not necessarily doing explicitly. Like he didn't know a lot of the stuff, but he does have sort of apparently a casual interest in some of it, which relates to transcendental meditation uh, in a big way. But he, um, you know, like the idea of superposition, I think you have one object, one thing that is in two places simultaneously. Hmm. Um, and then entanglement is you have two things that are in the same place simultaneously like which is physically in a physically impossible seemingly mm. physically impossible way but it's some it's a phenomenon that exists on like the particle level um but he uses it in terms of characters yeah this impossibility and really that begins in twin peaks with leland bob with cooper and you know a lot of the different things going on yeah annie and caroline yeah Annie Caroline. And even right, yeah, how they flip around. That's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah. In, uh, but in the Black Lodge. Yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. say I believe well, this was in the missing pieces, and it's still one of my yeah. favorite scenes, and I wish it was in the movie, the shot of Annie being brought yeah. into the hospital, and you see her in the bed and the, the nurse takes the ring right. and she starts talking. Well, she starts talking right and, in your diary. Right in your diary. But yeah, that moment she is in Laura's bed saying the exact same dialogue exactly, to Laura. Yeah. And that, but how would they have put that in the movie, you know? I yeah. know they've got it to be in the movie, but it would just wouldn't have. It wouldn't have made They, like, ran the whole credit. Yes, it as yes. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. You'd do but it that like, would have yeah. been kind of, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't have. Uh, yeah. Cameron from the uh, Obnoxious Anonymous podcast said that about the Cooper scene in the mirror. Like, what if it had ended, like, almost like a Marvel teaser, you know? Mm. Ever since, I think the first movie I saw do that, uh, actually, I don't think it did the end of the film bumper. Maybe it did. But it did, like, an open ending where it was like, aha, you've got me now, but there's more. And it was like, tune in in three years when we released the <laughs> was the first was the first X-Men movie in 2000. And it really yeah. annoyed me. I was like, well, that's not a way to make a movie. And that's the way they make movies now 15 years later. Like True. every yeah. blockbuster is like that, yeah. you know, as which I... <laughs> <laughs> Me and my disenchantment with, with Hollywood movies. Thank you, Joel. People can get a hold of us. How? They can get a hold of us through uh, our Gmail at uh, TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. Yes, the Twitter sphere. Most of the time I'm running Twitter, and most of the time they they can uh, uh, talk to you through Facebook. Yes, I'm on uh, we're Twin Peaks Unwrapped on Facebook. Uh, we're getting those likes in. Uh, people are commenting. We're having a ball on there. Also, iTunes, iTunes is it? We're exploding a little bit in iTunes. Yes, get those five star reviews. Leave us comments. It five means st- a lot. It means it so much to us that if you, if, it, it takes five minutes of your time. It, it, write us something. Give us those five stars. Maybe give us a little feedback. We appreciate it. I was fresh from Reno, Nevada, and just come to Hollywood, wanting to be an actress. And I had been modeling and doing music videos and commercials and stuff. And so part of the. Um, process is you sort of go in and meet different casting directors around town and 
you know, auditioned for them. And so I had gone a few times for Joanna, and um, I happened to get cast and went through this lengthy um, network testing process for the pilot of Baywatch. And I ended up uh, getting it, and at the same time, got a call from Joanna and said, you know, I really want you to come in and meet David Lynch, he's doing a show, and I'm like an innocent 16, 17-year-old girl going, oh, okay, I remember Dune, you know? So I went in to a room with Joanna and, and David, and um, I even think that Eric might have been helping the audition process and reading for people. And um, actually, it originally read for Lara Flynn's part. And um, sort of at the end of the reading, he was like, that was really good. Well, I'm doing a show. Do you think you might want to be in it? And I was like, sure. 